Hey y'all, happy Saturday. It's Maya here and I just wanted to let you guys know that this weekend we are posting a clip from the conversation that I was lucky enough to have with Sophie over on Unpaid Emotional Labor surrounding the concepts of critical race theory and intersectionality. This conversation was so freaking lit, y'all. It blessed my spirit. It reminded me of what I'm super passionate about. And while Victoria handles a personal matter this weekend, I thought it was important that we share this conversation here because Black History Month. I hope you guys enjoy and make sure you subscribe to Sophie's podcast. All right. Peace. Black girlhood exists in the hood. Black joy exists in the hood. Black family structures exist in the hood. And it's not just, you know, it's not just their relation to gun violence and trauma. They can just exist and be, and they just happen to be able to, for whatever reasons, and we all know the reasons are racism, yeah, <laughs> you know what it's I mean. It's like why? Why was South Central and Compton? Why were they? Why was that that area in the position that it was at yep. that time? Yep. Why did why did violence and um, drugs? Why why did they exist at such a high dangerous level at that time? Hmm? Why right. did families have to make sure they were going out to protect their children and make sure they got home on time, um, and also let them play outside playing double dutch until the lights came on? Yep. You know, like they, people don't see that. And I remember I got the opportunity to say this um, on the, like while we were doing press for the red carpet, I was like, it's just a gift to let black girls be black girls. I got homies that grew up in the projects that like, we all went home. I, you know, I, I grew up in like, um, not by any means. Um, like, I feel like I thought we was upper middle class. My mom and daddy will tell me, baby girl, no, we were much <laughs> lower than that. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I got every brat stall I ever wished for. I know. <laughs> uh, shoot, when That's I found out, stall. like, <laughs> when they're, like, people be shooting behind our houses or when my friends, yeah. like, tried to, the, the kids I grew up with tried to um, rob the auto market down the street and one of them got shot, I didn't reckon, reconcile with the fact that I was like, huh. I don't live in a safe neighborhood, you know, like I didn't know I was growing up in any kind of hood. Also, because I have hella white neighbors. So it's just like, I don't, it didn't make sense to me. All of that to say, all of that existed in my neighborhood, in my childhood, the threat Mm -hmm. of like danger, violence, um, drug dealing, all of that kind of stuff was on my block. But guess what we were doing every single morning, drawing chalk racetracks in the cul-de-sac and racing each other. P- kids were coming down to my mama's house to get buy snow cones and hot dogs. Everyone refuged at our house. And after school, we'd all come home and do homework together. Like the image of that existing, even when the environment doesn't reflect that it's exactly. likely to grow there, I think is really freaking important. And we don't get that in Hollywood because they're like, they cannot coexist. They must be mutually exclusive. And that's bullshit because hello, Venus and Serena are alive and well to tell a different story. Uh, Lynn and Isha are alive and well to tell a different story. Right? Tundi's children are alive and well Mm. telling a different story. Me, you, I don't, I mean, I don't know how you grew up, but (laughs) You know, we, I mean, I grew up in the, well, I came from Haiti and the, mm-hmm. 
where I was trafficked to the city, it's called Mattapan, but it was dubbed Murder Pan by gotcha. in the 80s. Yeah. And then um, so I lived there from age three to eight. And then um my traffickers moved to Dorchester and mm. Dorchester in the early 90s isn't the Dorchester that we see now that's gentrified and insane and it definitely wasn't a Dorchester that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck talk about because that's the other side and and, and it was nice there so um yeah. and then I lived in Hyde Park Roslindale hmm. Hyde Park Ave and that was more so where I think just by the houses like and I didn't have these concepts or understanding you know of poverty and status and socioeconomic status and and uh redlining and things like that and especially how crazily segregated Boston is as a whole but um all I remember in uh when we moved to Roslindale was oh this is the first time I ever lived in a in a home but even then it was like a three-story like uh, the three family um brownstones and uh it was just really weird to me of like, oh, there's like single family homes that line the street. Um, but then we knew not to go or um, it was, there was like gang, you know, violence there. There was uh, heavy, heavy, um, it was a, it was a, a drug dealing hub. And, and um, I would be sent to the corner store, not the corner store, I'd be sent to the supermarket because um, I was doing domestic work in the home since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I would just know like, these men are not good guys that are just posted up on the corner all hours of the day and catcalling a nine-year-old. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it, so even though there was like a sense of like, I, I was divorced from the reality of it all, um, there were still ways that my body knew like, okay, this it's is a not keen awareness. Yeah. Right. 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 Or instead like in, in Mattapan, I remember one morning walking to school, there was like a chalk outline of someone who was, and it was the parking lot of the apartment complex of the projects, like just the chalk outline and the, the yellow crime scene tape and, you know, just got to walk around mm -hmm. yeah. and then uh, head to school. So it, it's, it's, but, but again, even, but, and, and I I know my childhood was a little different, but like when I was in school in the con, in the halls of the school that I went to, I connected that to safety, right? I was away from my abusive household mm. and, um, and so, um, meaning making as far as peer relationships like learning what that was like, learning how to play double dutch, learning English. Like mm. to me, I cherish those moments. And I, yeah. and I, and there was still like, I still wasn't connecting, like, you know, I know things that make me feel good, but I still wasn't looking at it as like, I'm just a sullen, you know, um, like my childhood only had dark moments. Like those moments in recess were like um, really amazing for me. Absolutely. And I think what comes up here, I think, are often the tenets of transformative justice, right? Where mm -hmm. it's like, we don't live, we have not been brought up in a society that examines the reason why these conditions exist. Oof. And then they consider us anomalies for making it out of our circumstance. When it's like, 
hey, should we examine why the circumstance exists? In the, like, why the fuck is there dudes posted up on a corner, cat calling a nine-year-old? What are the conditions that exist that, that those men are that way? Right. Hmm? Why is there rampant gun violence in predominantly um, Black communities and no restorative practice to rehabilitate those communities? Exactly. No resources to provide access for those people who live in those communities to be somewhere else after right. school, right? What, like what, what is missing is this like holistic care for the idea of community. So we have to find solace in those, the things that don't like cause violation to us. Right, right, right. Um, and it makes like, you know, it, it's just, I mean, this gets into that conversation of the lack of intersectionality that just kind of exists on a day-to-day basis. Um, because there's no consideration for what the intersect, what our individual intersections with marginalizations mean for us. And I think that's a really great segue to where, because one of the things that I was thinking about of like, it's been two years where it's just been this kind of like inundation of misnomers Mm. for both CRT and intersectionality for me. Like talk about it. It's been two years of me just do I should I am I ma'am that's not what that is literally that's not what that is ma'am that's not what that is daily panic attacks and so there's a part of me that I mean I'm just wired like I can't compute an amplitude so a part of me wants to say it and then as I've been learning about boundaries the last three years in therapy it's like hmm is that my is not is it my place if I exert this emotional labor, does this person have the um, back, like cognitive faculties to really even retain or hold space for what I'm saying? Because I'm not going to be talking to no damn wall, <laughs> and especially not for free. Because so- hello, my rates are high. <laughs> my and, and when I say my rates, I mean how much I cost and also my blood pressure. Like hello. <laughs> but truly, I've gotten to this place where I'm like, let me ask if you even have the means or the capacity to receive this openly. Otherwise, we don't have to have the conversation. And, and, and so pre-summer 2020, you're operating in this space of just kind of like, man, let me just you know go to school or go to work or do what I need to do because there, there's no way that I can have these conversations the way that they should be had with people. You know what I mean? There's no space for mm-hmm. that. Then we have summer 2023, summer 2020. Everyone posts their black boxes. Everyone has their, um, is ramping up their pride um, merchandise. There's, everyone's a race scholar and, 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 a, and a scholar in a sectionality. And people mm-hmm. are saying words. And I'm just like, wait a minute, not eight months ago, you were scoffing at this or turning a blind eye or, you know, do what you need to do to to dismiss this. And now all of a sudden people are posting, writing, thought pieces, op-eds, book clubs, just this rapid socialization around, uh, performative socialization. And I, and, and I was like, okay, it's unsafe. It's unsafe because I, maybe I need to like cancel or delete all my social medias because this is now escalated to something I would have never imagined. And also how can I step in and have 
intelligible, intelligible and also sound conversations in this cacophony of idiocy that I'm seeing swirling. Mm. Because yeah. there's one thing, in, you know, it's the devil you know. There's one thing pre-20 summer 2020 to where you could I could understand and and there was a clear line of demarcation as to why this ignorance was was constantly sustained. Then post-2020 and George Floyd's murder, you're having people bypass a lot of things that they need to sit and weigh and just coming to the end result and yeah. performing that. And then what it creates for us is now we got to manage your white guilt and your white hysteria because some folks were just wilding and it's just kind of like, no, 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 ma'am. Like I've been at this party since 8 p.m. I showed up on time and you showing up at 2 a.m. wanting me to catch you up to what's been going on in this, like it's exhausting and where do I even start? So all that to say, um, I, I wanted to see if there's, we can hold space to like really dissect like the true, the actual definitions of CRT and intersectionality and also their appropriate functionalities before it got bastardized and diluted for people's respective movements. Yeah, um, I actually love that uh, because I, I think every time I'm in a meeting or you know, even if it's just listening to a podcast or being in conversation with people you know, Mm-hmm. And they start talking about it and you're like, wow, you are so gravely misinformed. And <laughs> I'm aware that if I bring this information to you now, like you won't receive it as like, hey, I'm trying to help here. And I don't even know if I have the emotional capacity to offer that to you. I feel like that's what's missing from the conversation is we should be in process yeah. Right. We're still in an, a very early phase of saying this is what is going on and people are seeking product. Oof. Right. They want to get from point A to point B, forgetting the fact that like this is not linear. This is not linear work. Sure is right? not. A revolution is a circle. <laughs> baby. And a story is impelled by the necessity to reveal itself, which is a quote from James Baldwin. And we cannot force that impolition. If it's not there, if it's not available, then we're working under false pretenses. A thousand percent. Um, so yeah, let's, I mean, shit, let's get into it. Where, where we start, let me know. So I want to start with CRT because I okay. think it's, it's, I mean, it's, it, it obviously came out earlier intersectionality, but I want us to to morph into intersectionality because the beauty and the genius of Kimberly of Dr. Crenshaw and you know for and she was you know shooting with them in the gym she was one of the main scholars that kind of etched out CRT um, yeah. in legal theory when it came yes. out so for her to even be in that space um, if one of, if not the only major female, uh, major femme credited in that space. And then to, out of that and her kind of positionality to be like, something's missing and yeah. let's, let's talk about it. Cause y'all don't want to talk about it. 
It's um, that whole notion so, of black feminist thought that people are like, oh, but because it is black and feminist, then it's only for them. And it's just mm-hmm. like, no, we're trying to no. let you guys know what's missing from all of the other spaces exactly. that would there and by include everybody. Yep. Yes. Oh, I love Ms. I, oh I love God. Dr. Crenshaw so much. Okay. Um, the amount of times I've researched going to, cause when I undergrad, I was pre-law and the amount of times I re- researched UCLA law school to want just to work with her, like not even no like, other can reason. I just audit one of your courses? Don't you about, don't gotta and, give me and, no and grades. Point, just be an audit. Like, I just want to just learn from her. Um, cause law school is a joke. No disrespect to all my lawyers out there. Um, because it, we have to understand, or I want my listeners to understand that CRT was first and foremost a legal theory. Yes. Okay. It's a, frame, it's a framework. It's it's a framework, and and what's so funny is you know with its theories and frameworks, you know you follow scientific method, test, you know experiment, observe, re, you know re, uh, analyze, retest, all that stuff. Yeah. But there's something to be said about CRT that I think is tangential tangential to the other theories that were force-fed that are created by dead white men who wouldn't know oppression if it, you know, if it was literally happening before their eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that there's something to be said about the credibility and the pivotal kind of historical um, analysis that went into CRT that I feel like at this point, I, we shouldn't be refuting it. This is very, this should be a fixed framework that we use. Mm. And I say that because for them to dissect what the construction of race did and the purpose of the construction of race and for it to be ratified and codified through law and also basically control our socialization in my, in, 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 uh, in uh, nation building in the US, it's almost as if this framework or this theory is just receipts as, you know what I mean? Where other yeah. theories, you can get nebulous, you can kind of stay and intellectually masturbate and you never really go anywhere and your theory can't, you know, you can't um, um, shoot can't your theory. theory. It. Yeah, you can't actualize or, and hell, even contextualize. There's some political theories that I'm like, what the fuck right. is you saying? You're just trying to um, like you're just trying to justify necropolitics and these war machines. This theory ain't shit, but that's what <laughs> I, I feel like there, uh, the way that CRT's been again bastardized and stripped apart recently by feckless, you know, uh, idiots. Um, I think I, I just want my listeners to know, like, when they do their research, like, there isn't a lot about this framework where you could be like, um, well, but I don't know if it would work in this. Con- it's a, it's a, it it's does, a pretty supportive. Right. And it's based off of, you know, um, it's based off of lived experience and there are so many different ways and avenues that you can enter into, right? Like you want to hear about critical race theory and you want it to be from like, uh, someone who has experiences with, 
um, being in the military. Great. Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall right there. It's, it's right. Lots of experiences. <laughs> critical race theory without calling itself critical race theory. Right. Um, you're interested in the mortality rates of um, black, uh, black bodies that bear children. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. Uh, killing the black female body. That's <laughs> right over there. That's you know, it's usually a book used for birth work, but there you go. And sure, it's mm -hmm. specifically identifies bodies as female, but no, like we can, let's, we can apply it here. You know, you want to think about the school to prison pipeline and you're like, okay, how can I digest this in a way that I can see it visually? Fabulous. There's a, there's a play called Pipeline. I was just going to say, I Dominique I know she's going to say, I know what she's going to say for that one. Like, hello. <laughs> and There's... even the racialization, if we want to talk about um, the racialization of a um, racialization of a consequence of colonization, but the colonizers don't want to take mm. credit. Yeah. Um, terrorism, um, arms warfare. Yeah. Um, nuclear, um, uh, nuclear weapons and, and weapons of mass destruction and all that. And you want to talk about the browning of an issue or the blackening of an issue. Mm -hmm. I told my followers to get this book and I hope they did. Ooh. Terrorist Assemblages, Homo Nationalism in Queer Times by Jasbir mm. Puar, Dr. Jasbir Puar. I hope she's let Rutgers. But um, she talks about she 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 dissects necropolitics in a way that I think is very palatable and approachable for people. And necropolitics is a, a society or any actors kind of um, decision making of who deserves to live and who deserves to die, but through death, right? Yeah. Like with nine eleven, like we were showing the world whose life really mattered by us losing around 2,500 people, citizens, give or take, and we decimated and killed millions of, of people in the Middle East. that's enough for today. For real, y'all, I can't possibly post the whole conversation because you have to go over to the Patreon for unpaid emotional labor, and you got to subscribe there, all right? The link is right in the notes, so you can definitely click on it right now. You can do it right now. While you're listening to my voice, I will guide you. <laughs> but for real, I had such a freaking dope time hanging on the Unpaid Emotional Labor podcast with Sophie James. It was one of the best times I've ever had recording on this platform. And I think there's so much more to this conversation that you guys would really enjoy, both before this clip and after. So I'm going to put all of the info for Sophie's Venmo and PayPal and Cash App, whatever I got to put down into the info notes, because there is nothing wrong with throwing a little coin into the collection plate of a black femme doing the work to educate folks when she don't have to, right? It is not our jobs, but you know, <laughs> here we are. So we'll see you soon. Got some really dope content coming for you. Got a guest or so coming your way. And uh, I hope you're taking care of yourselves this weekend. Y'all stay up. Y'all stay well. Stay lifted. See you soon. Peace. <laughs>